Hello, and welcome to another edition of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Today on our show, we've got none other than Todd Davis. He's the author of Get Better. He's also the chief people officer over at Franklin Covey. Now, he's going to tell us exactly why workplace relationships are so important and how to manifest the kinds of relationships that will get you ahead in life. This is the kind of coaching that literally costs tens of thousands of dollars, and and he's given it to us essentially for free. Uh, you also might want to follow up and get his book where he goes into more detail about it, but this is the kind of stuff that, that, that big organizations pay big money for, for their executives to be the best they possibly can be, and he's going to tell us all about that. But first, we want to see you live. Uh, we're done for this year, but we got a whole bunch of stuff coming up in 2019, so go ahead and check out teshmusic.com. Also, we are always online, facebook.com slash John Tesh, or you can talk to me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard. We answer our messages. We have a great time talking in the comment section. So we also do a lot of Facebook Lives. So check that out and make sure that uh, that you're checking in regularly because we do lots of fun stuff and we want to see you there. Uh, without further ado, here is Todd Davis from Franklin Covey. Todd, thank you so much for being a part of this with us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so you have... I'm just going to call you, you know, America's recruitment officer or America's human resource executive. That's how I view you, because you have literally led the charge in in getting people ready for the modern economy for the last 30 years. <laughs> well, you flatter me. Thank you. Uh, and so your book, you know, you've got this great gig at Franklin Covey. You're doing leadership training. You're 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 preparing people for for the modern workforce. And then you decide to write this book, Get Better, uh, which which is which is being very well received. I mean, I want to keep you know, I'm not going to. This is not a praise report for you, but it but it it looks phenomenal, and people are are comparing it to some huge heavy hitters like the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, why why did you feel like you needed to write this book? Well, uh, first of all, I'm enjoying the praise, so just keep it going. <laughs> yeah, everybody does. I mean, that's like... <laughs> I, uh, I've been with Franklin Covey for 23 years, going on 23 years now. And the majority of that time I've been in, my, my title is Chief People Officer. So I, I'm over the human resource function, as you had said, and I'm, I'm, I've been in this role of coaching and mentoring uh, and working with leaders and others uh, at all levels in, in the organization and in previous organizations. And so with that experience, not that I'm, you know, some brilliant genius, but, but like all of us, I have my reps uh, over and over again in this particular area. And I have seen what those who are truly masters at building effective relationships, what they do, and those that, you know, really struggle with that, what they do. And so I have put that all in the book because I think why it's taken off is less about me and more about this topic. You know, Jim Collins talks about getting the right people on the bus, and that's true. You've got to have the right people in your organization, but equally or more important, it's the nature of the relationships between those people that actually makes all the difference to the culture of an organization and therefore to the success of the organization. So how people interact is that 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 to you is the most important element of what makes an organization tick. I mean, I, I, I work with a lot of organizations that just have sales guys that kind of stay in their lane, stay in their region and go out and hit their hit their targets. Yeah, well, when you when you think about it, um, we all unless you are, I don't know, a pro golfer or maybe you run a company where you are the only employee, mm -hmm. the rest of us 
we get our results with and through others. And so absolutely, those who can build sincere, effective relationships, they are, they are much more successful and effective at everything they do because we all, for the most part, get our results with others. So, so and again, in your point is teamwork makes the dream work and you are giving people these tools in order to make the teamwork work. <laughs> exactly to, right. To, to totally right. distort and mix metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> a, going into poetry here, but that's exactly right. And, and for, you know, the past 30 years, like I said, I've observed and coached leaders and others and using the literally hundreds of tools and principles and paradigms contained in Franklin Covey's world-class solutions, I've just seen, as I said, over and over again, those specific behaviors that are the real catalysts for positively influencing and, and, and being more effective with others. Okay. So not to give away the whole book, but what, what are some of those most important behaviors that you need to see in people? Yeah. Well, uh, maybe not go through all of them, but, but the very first practice is called wear glasses that work. And it's practice, practice number one for a reason, because the way we see things influences everything else we do. We already know that, of course, what we do, our behaviors give us the results we get. But, but often people, including myself, we forget to step back and make sure we're seeing things accurately. You know, I, I remember my very first pair of glasses, real glasses that I got. I was in the second grade. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember putting those on, and perhaps people who are listening had a similar experience if you've worn corrective lenses. I remember putting those on and for the first time seeing the detail of the leaves up on the trees. And before that experience, that may sound silly, but before that experience, I knew there were leaves up there and I could see green and it was kind of a blurry green. But the point is, I thought that's what you and everybody else saw too when they looked at leaves up on the trees right. until I had right. glasses that worked. And so, we often in life, we've seen something a certain way for so long, we've convinced ourselves that is the accurate way. And we try and convince or get frustrated with everyone else when they don't see it the way we see it. So it's important to step back and make sure we're wearing glasses that work. That's that's the number one thing in, in building effective relationships. I mean, an honest picture of, of what everything is, is what absolutely, you're saying. Absolutely. Seeing someone's full potential, seeing what they're capable of versus, no, I've already kind of pigeonholed this person in a particular area. Right. And then you and then you project your own image of what that person is instead of seeing all of the nuance of each leaf of that individual. Well said. That's exactly right. So in your book, you use a lot of anecdotes to illustrate your points in each chapter. Uh, first of all, why 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 use that method? Why use anecdotes? Why not get into it? Well, I uh, it, it, the book is written from a very practical uh, aspect because I have to I have to understand something if I'm going to put it into into practice, and so I, I find more and more people are like that as well. And with anecdotes and stories, um, for most of us, you meet a few people that that would argue with this, but most of us, it makes it much more memorable. And it's oh sticky. yeah, and so and so that's that's the reason. So I begin each chapter with uh, a, a true story. I mean, I've changed the, the names to protect the innocent, but I uh, uh, begin that with a, an actual story that illustrates the problem or the challenge or the opportunity of that particular practice. Flip it and call it an opportunity, which would be very clearly you spent a lot of time talking to people <laughs> in that space. Well, it, it really is an opportunity. In fact, the next practice I was going to talk about is called Carry Your Own Weather. 
this practice is all about the fact of whether or not we allow outside people or circumstances to dictate, mm-hmm. you know, the course of our life, the direction of our life, because it's real easy and maybe legitimate to be a victim, to say, well, I, you know, had a crappy upbringing or I had this misfortune or whatever. And we can spend all our time blaming and doing that, or we can choose to carry our own weather, as the title suggests. Uh, while there are a lot of things we can't control, we can control our response to any situation. And that's why I, I honestly do, not trying to be Pollyanna here, but I do look at challenges or misfortunes right. as, okay, an opportunity to learn, to grow, right. to right. maybe change course. And what, what would you say is your favorite anecdote from the book, like the one that you think sums up everything about Get Better the most? Oh, wow. Or the one that, that resonated with you the most, the one that you were like, yeah, that's a good story. Yeah, well, I begin the book with a, a play that I had read about. I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't seen the play. It's called No Exit. It was written by Jean-Paul Sartre, the French philosopher, mm-hmm. in 1940. And the play, it, so it's it's my favorite. It's why I put it in the introduction because the play begins with three individuals in the afterlife, mm-hmm. and these three souls, I'll call them. They find themselves in this room with no door and where the windows are completely bricked up. That's why he calls it No Exit. And they slowly start to really irritate each other. And because they irritate each other, they try to change each other. And and that doesn't go so well. And they finally realize that hell isn't fire and brimstone or some torture chamber they'd imagine, but hell is in fact, can be other people, (laughs) people who do or change or behave the way we want them to. And, And while it's only a play, I share that because you think about it. How often do you and I and others find ourselves with people who irritate us or annoy us? And so we try daily, to, yeah, every single I've, day. Todd. Yeah, I've heard about you, and uh, <laughs> and we try to change, and that doesn't go so well. And and what happens when when our attempts to fix them don't work? You know, uh, the late Dr. Stephen R. Covey, best-selling author of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he said all meaningful change comes from the inside out. Systemic organizational change can't happen without changes in individual behavior. There's one other important detail about the room in this play that Sartre wrote, and that is that in this room, he specifically made mention of the fact that there are no mirrors, making the point that even if they wanted to, these people, sometimes like you and I, who are so busy trying to tell each other what to do and change each other, Mm. you don't have the opportunity to look in the mirror and say, wait a minute, what do I need to do differently? What do I need to change or where could I get better? And so that's the real premise of the whole book. It's the most influential, effective people. While all of us have a lot of problems, the most effective people start with themselves. And how do you do that, though? I mean, like, I, I understand we, we've, we've had Ryan Holiday on the show, and <laughs> I like to read the Stoic philosophers. And Stoic philosophy is essentially that. It is you cannot affect other people. You cannot affect things that are outside of your control. You can really only affect how you respond to things and how you yourself process things. That's like mm-hmm. Stoicism 101. But that's so much easier said than done. I mean, how do you practically do that? If somebody misses a deadline at work that makes you miss a deadline, how do you, how do you on a day-to-day yeah. basis, what are some tools that you can use in order to get through that? Yeah. So, I mean, that situation comes up a lot where somebody else, you know, causes your challenge or at least part of your challenge um in that particular situation i just i coach people all the time to have a conversation you know we're so we dance around so many things and we we dance around uncomfortable or awkward situations and and i think you can with respect you can almost talk about anything to someone so i got somebody on my team they continue to drop the ball i 
declare my intent. The beginning of every conversation, I declare my intent. I just say, hey, Jamie, I want you to know my only intent is to help us be successful as a team. And so what I'm going to share with you is just to, to identify, you know, where things might be getting hung up and, and if there's something I'm doing that could, you know, so I, I just, I, I try to make the person not defensive. The minute we feel defensive, we, we have a hard time hearing anything. Right. And just address the problems head on. You know, you, you ask, how do we, how do we start with ourselves on every one of these practices at the end of each chapter, I have an application so that it isn't just a nice principle to talk about. And yeah, that makes sense. And then it goes up on a shelf and we don't do anything with it. So for example, in wearing glasses that work that we just talked about, I, what I have people do in this application, you can do it tonight, is you, you identify a challenging problem or relationship or situation, something that's not going as well as you would like it to. And then you list all of the reasons that you believe contribute to that situation not being ideal. I have done this myself many times, and it's, it's really helpful. So I list everything that's contributing to that situation. And then I go through and I force myself to circle those things that are facts. And by facts, I mean that if I showed my list of things to 10 other or five other people that know about the situation, they would agree with me that those things are facts. Mm-hmm. And what you find every time is that certain things on that list, while they may be strongly held opinions and they may in fact even be accurate, they're not facts. And it forces you to step back and say, you know, maybe maybe I should look at this part of this situation differently. It's a great place to start. So that's just an example of one of the applications on uh, on the practices. So it sounds like objectivity is probably the number one thing. Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to <laughs> I mean, that's, right. that's right. Because we, I think, I feel like we live in a postmodern world where everybody is exploring quote unquote their own truth. And, uh, and what you're, what this, this notion of fi- circle the facts is saying, well, there are some things that need to be true for everybody that you can't just say is your own truth. And, and, and figuring that part out will allow you to, to actually make the changes in yourself, correct? Gives you a, gives you a starting point. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, somebody, somebody asked me the other day in the interview, um, if I had a, if I had a sign outside my door for people who are waiting to come in and talk to me, what would it say? And I, I said, well, <laughs> that's not how my setup works. I'm not a psychiatrist or a physician, but, but, but it was an interesting, it was an interesting uh, scenario. And I thought about that. And I think, uh, you know, my sign would say a lot of things, but, but the, the, would be more important than anything else for that sign to say is, have you considered the other person's opinion? Not mm-hmm. agreed with it, not disagreed with it. Have you considered it? Have you taken time to understand where they're coming from? Boy, could we all use a lot more of that in the world today. Uh, and, that, and I think that is the foundation for building effective relationships. That's that's also a big form of classical education. I mean, that's 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 that goes back to Socrates. You can't understand your own argument until you fully understand the opposition's argument. So true. That's exactly right. And I think I actually think that that's a you bring up a great point. I think it's a huge problem with what's facing our world today, particularly in in North America, is that everybody is sure that they're right and nobody wants to understand the other person's point of view. Yeah. Not agree with it to your point, but understand it fully. Correct. I agree. Um, the workforce is changing. I'm just going to switch gears here for a second. The workforce is obviously changing in a lot of ways. We are our our whole economy is shifting where its bread and butter is. Uh, how are you? What What are some of the things you guys are doing over Franklin Covey to prepare the next generation of leaders for this next generation economy? 
Well, uh, in a lot of our solutions um, and in principles that we teach, it's focused on you've got to continually be investing in yourself. You know, mm. credibility, when you think of the most credible person you know, um, probably lots of attributes come to mind, but they fall into one of two buckets, and that is their character and their competence. And you got to have a, you got to have both to be truly credible. And I've seen people in my experience where they they have tons of great character, high integrity, honest. They remember your birthday, and they I don't know if they intentionally do it, but they think that if they have a ton of character, it makes up for that competency. And boy, have you got to be investing yourself to stay current and relevant with with the technology, with the way of, of that we communicate and we create solutions and we develop and, and share those solutions. And so that's that's a big emphasis at Franklin Covey. We just moved, and, and this isn't a sales pitch by any means, but we just moved that two years ago to a brand new business model that really disrupted our business of 30 years, where we went to a, what's called the all-access pass. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is that previously we would go into organizations and corporations and identify what we think the problem is and then and then recommend one of our you know many solutions now we have a relationship with all of our clients where they are just have an ongoing membership with us if you will and they have access to anything and everything that we have that we're, we're continually adding to what's called the all access pass because things are changing as you mentioned so rapidly and so quickly and their needs today are going to be very different even six months from now and if they've already spent their training money on a particular solution for the year, well, then they're kind of stuck. And so it's a new way of right. partnering. And boy, has it, it really worked well for our clients and, and certainly worked well for us as, along with have you Have you noticed one particular skill set that is uh, becoming more necessary than, than was previous, uh, than, than, than you were used to in the first decade of your work there? Absolutely. And that is flexibility or adaptability. In fact, I do um, I do some of the final interviews for our most senior hires. We have a recruiting department, excellent recruiting department that finds top-notch candidates for our sales roles, for our consultant roles, operations, whatever it is. And when they're senior positions, I will do a, a final interview with with whoever the candidate is they're proposing. And what I I mean, certainly they have to have the the, the skill set for whatever job they're applying for and the, the experience, the competency, but. If they don't have, and we we have just a very informal interview and a conversation where I ask them about past experiences, and if I don't, um, and we don't feel like we're getting a real sense of the ability to adapt and be flexible because of the very mm -hmm. thing you're talking about, we've we've had some really talented people who struggle to adapt and struggle to be flexible, and that has become, I think, the number one competency you need in this world. Adaptability. That's right. Have you seen uh, skill sets that people used to have that all of a sudden have just disappeared? Like, I mean, I've noticed that it's it's the ability to look people in the eyes is going away, particularly with younger uh, younger <laughs> staff members that I interact with, who are not specifically salespeople. So, salespeople usually have that, or they get that beaten into them. But I've noticed that people don't look in the eyes. Is there some sort of equivalent that you've noticed uh, in, in your work that people are just don't have anymore that is necessary? Yeah, that that's that's interesting. I, let me think about that for a minute. I, I nothing specifically comes to mind other than you know when you talk about looking in the eyes and that we we have become in in many organizations such a remote workforce mm -hmm. where many of us don't gather in buildings on a daily basis, and so the ability to to work remotely and to still stay connected and feel like you're collaborating, you're part of a team. 
that's that's a, a skill set that you need, but something that is no longer necessary. I mean, other than just maybe the obvious, some of the, the older technology that we, we don't use anymore, you know, uh, uh, taking shorthand and things like that are right, right, right. pretty uh, less less useful anymore. But uh, um, I, I think, again, I just keep going back to adaptability. This the, mm-hmm. to, to whatever change is, is happening is the, is the number one thing that, that we look for. Do you think that, that working remotely, something that you're seeing a lot more of, do you think that that is as effective because we've we've done stories on both sides of that card. Some yeah. stories about how how good it can be for your emotional health, but also how bad it can be for productivity. Also, how good it can be for productivity. I think yeah. it depends on the person. I think I think different industries and different organizations have those those different outcomes. For us, it dramatically increases productivity. For the type of work that we're in, training and consulting. We have seen productivity just shoot up as we've had. I mean, our sales force and our consultants, they've always been remote. They work, you know, travel and, and, right. and work remotely. But all of our, you know, huge sales support and operations and that, they're working more and more remote. And we're finding when you have the right people and you have the level of trust that you should have if, if they're truly trustworthy, then the productivity dramatically increases because, and this is good and bad, they're working around the clock. Now, maybe not right. 24 hours, but, you know, they take care of the kids' homework or whatever, and then they put in a couple of more hours in at night, or they can... Right, right, and, right. And so right. they like it because they're able to do so much more during the day, but we have noticed dramatic increase in productivity. That's all good. The downside is life balance. Uh, we have, you know, great dedicated people who sometimes get their priorities out of whack, and, and we don't help mm-hmm. that because their priorities tend to be more about work. And then also, it is it can be quite lonely. Um, yeah, you know, we, you know we're, we're big on skyping or Zoom calls all the time. We don't really do conference calls anymore. We we always have somebody on camera in front of us. We're talking just because uh, that that connectivity when you can't be face to face makes a big difference. So there's good and bad to to this remote workforce. Well, there's a psychological element to being able to see somebody's facial expressions. It's it, there's nonverbal communication that I think is important for getting your idea across, right? That's exactly right. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Okay, so, so you have I'm going to call it a, a hippie job title, uh, chief people officer. It's a it's a little it's a little granola. Yeah. What is a chief people officer, and and what sort of things do you have to do to be a chief people officer? Okay. Well, I mean, like, I mean that in the most, you know, uh, in the with no disrespect. Speaking, it's just yeah. Speaking as a hippie, I'm old enough to be a hippie. Speaking yeah. as a hippie, uh, you know, we all. Um, well, let me back up. Some organizations, most organizations, view culture as as important in their company, and and some organizations say, "Yep, culture is important, and it's human resources responsibility." And because that's how those are the glasses I'm wearing, I'm pretty hands off. You know, they'll take care of the training and the award ceremony, company newsletters. And if that's how I see culture, then uh, then I'm kind of hands off and HR will take care of it. Then my results and the kind of culture I have is probably okay as compared to other cultures around me because this is how a lot of organizations still think about their company culture. But if, on the other hand, I view company culture as critical and I view it as everyone's responsibility, not just HR's, but everyone's, every leader's, well, then when I'm wearing those lenses, what I do is I'm reinforcing that with all of my leadership, with everybody, that every meeting, every email, every interaction I'm having, you are, all of us, contributing to the culture. And when that's the, the tone that I set, 
Well, then we have a, a highly engaged, highly collaborative culture, which makes all the difference in organizations. You still need an owner of that process or a, a, a cheerleader or a quarterback, if you will. Whatever Somebody you who's accountable for it. That's right. And, and so that is the role uh, of the chief people officer at our organization. We call our function, we don't even call it human resources because there are a lot of stigma attached to that as the p- policy wonks or the police keepers. We are truly partners with everyone in the company. So we call it people services and I'm the, I'm the chief people officer or more or less the quarterback for the culture in the company. So what do you see? Let's say you're, let's say you're, you're in an expanding company. You've just gotten your funding or you've just reached a certain critical mass. And now you, you've gone, you've gone from a garage business to a business that needs to create a culture. What is the number one mistake that you've seen people make in creating culture that you guys have to correct? Yeah, great question. Um, especially in that, in that scenario that you painted where we're, we're finally getting some traction and we're ready to add people and things like that, we unintentionally get greedy. Okay, we got to grow fast. We got to make, you know, we got to bring in a lot of money. We got to grow fast. And, and while that's understandable, it's kind of the, the, the goose and the golden egg, if you're familiar with that nursery rhyme where mm-hmm. the, the farmer goes out and sees the, the golden egg and is thrilled, can't believe it's real, goes in, cashes it in, yep, it is, gets another one the next day and, and, and gets so anxious that he actually cuts off the head of the goose and reaches down and there's no more golden eggs and, and he's killed the very thing that produces the golden eggs. We, we call that PPC balance, production and production capability, and it is a balance. So the most important thing that new and, and old organizations do need to do is step back into consideration the goose and the golden egg, are we nurturing and investing enough in the goose, the production capability, the thing that produces, to, to get the golden eggs over time? So it is a balance that you got to step back and you've got to invest in your culture. And more than, you know, the summer barbecue or whatever, you've got to check in with your people. You've got these superstar talents, especially if you're a startup, you've hired the right people and check in with them. What's working for you? What's not working for you? What do you want to do next? Make sure you know the answer to those questions of the people that you've hired because they're talented. And if you don't know the answer to those questions and find out what what's not working for them and what you can maybe fix, somebody on the street's going to find that out and you're going to lose talent. Right. So you're saying emphasizing their production over emphasizing the way that the culture relates to that production? Is that exactly is that... right? Just be, yeah, be be patient. Again, you got to be you got to be productive and results oriented enough that you're making enough to invest back in the business. But I just we've seen too many companies, and and we've been guilty of this ourselves sometimes, where you get so anxious to hit twelve quarters in a row if you're a publicly held company or whatever, and and you start to you know the phrase no margin no mission, that's fine, but sometimes the margin becomes the mission, and that's when you get out of balance. You got to remember what your company is all about. What what is the significant contribution you're hoping to make to the world? Pretend that I don't know what no margin, no mission means. Okay, so what is no margin, no mission? Yeah. So we've had people, Franklin Covey. We teach. Some people will say, "Well, they're the character company. We teach character." Well, we actually are the behavior change company. We help organizations achieve results that require a change in human behavior. But some people view that as, "Okay, well, you start with the individual." And we'll have people come to us and they say, well, you shouldn't charge for this. This is just like a mission you should be on. Well, that's wonderful, but um, I don't know many people are going to volunteer because they got to feed their families. You know, we're, right. So you've got to make money 
that's the that's the margin you've got to make money so that you can fund the mission you can fund this great high moral road that you're on to really make a contribution to the world so no margin no mission means yeah you got to make money so that you can then really serve the purpose that you're so passionate about but don't don't let unintentionally or intentionally that that uh, greed, I'll call it, for the money take over so that the mission is kind of something written on the wall, but not something you really eat, sleep, and breathe every day. So you want the two to work in tandem, not to be separate concepts. Absolutely. Absolutely. We call, when we're looking for people and adding new talent, we call it, and some people think it sounds kind of soapboxy, but we call it achievers with heart. And it really titles nicely the type of person we're looking for in any role we look for achievers with heart so people that want to get the results but they're they're passionate about what we do as an organization and and that passion is equally as important as earning a a good living i mean i i think that's i think for your own mental health that's true absolutely right to be passionate about what you're doing uh, aren't there a lot of studies that say that above $70,000, there is no correlation between $70,000 a year. Mm-hmm. There is no correlation between income and happiness. I, I've seen, I've seen studies to that nature. I did. I've, I've seen, uh, the number be a little bit higher, <laughs> but, right. but the point is, the well, maybe it needs to be adjusted for inflation since the time <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> That's right. And, and the point is the same though. You, you, um, you get to a certain point and what engages you, what, what have you fully engaged is, is no longer the, the, the compensation, the benefits. Well, it is benefits, but not the benefits like medical and dental. It's the benefits of challenging work that I actually made a difference because it was on that team or I actually saw this client implement this thing that we helped them do and, and they became happier and, and more productive and better. Yeah. Okay. Well, as we're starting to wrap this up, I have, I have two kind of biggish questions for you uh, and, and, and then a couple of personal questions. But the, the first kind of big question is, these are all, all these, all these tips are, are about what people can do for their, or what an organization can do to create the culture for the people. What can an individual do who's maybe in an unhealthy culture uh, do in order to 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 make them more, themselves more successful and to thrive at, at a job that they have? Yeah, so I get this question a lot. You know, I I were I was doing a keynote in Milan, Italy uh, last week and stop bragging. No, <laughs> three people showed up. Okay, Gib. No, it was it was the the World Business Forum. I, I wasn't. I I didn't mean that to sound like I was. There. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But, I, you um, know. but after there was a book signing, and and I was talking to someone, he said, "Boy, I really liked your keynote. What if I work in an organization where they're just not like that? They won't let that." Right. And, and of course, you have to decide for yourself if if the the culture and the climate of the organization is too challenging. But we have we have a model called your circle of influence. And, and I talk about it in practice number two, carrying your own weather. And when you work within your circle of influence, your influence, I, I don't care what type of culture you're in, <laughs> excuse me, your influence grows versus your circle of concern. So there are these two circles. The outer circle is a circle of concern and the inner circle is a circle of influence. And often many of us spend our time in an area of things that we're concerned about we can't do anything about. And that is is natural, but it's kind of wasted time. I've worked with and coached people who are in not a toxic organization, but an organization that maybe doesn't focus first on focus first on 
people and the relationships between people. And I've seen a small team, a very small team within a much larger organization that just focuses on their circle of influence, whether they're the leader or not. Right. They focus on some of these practices and behaviors that we've talked about. And every time that team will start to produce better results because many studies, the more engaged your people are, the more productive they are. So all of a sudden the organization takes notice because this team over here, what are they doing to all of a sudden start to outdo the other teams? And it, it doesn't happen overnight and you gotta be patient, but it does happen. So, so what I remind myself of all the time when I'm getting frustrated or anxious, Todd, work within your circle of influence. A lot of things you can't control. What can you control or what can you at least start to influence? This, I mean, this is seriously like stoicism for, for the business world. It, that, that, all that is, is I feel like, I feel like you're Marcus Aurelius right now. And, and, and because that's, that's all, that's all stoicism is, is this notion that you find what you can control and, and focus on controlling that and, and react to everything else. Don't, don't try to change it or lament it. Boy, so well said. And you're a lot happier and, and you actually influence a lot more. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, the hard part, I think, for people is figuring out where that line is. You know, you talk about that Venn diagram of a circle inside of a circle. So we have this circle of concern, and a lot of us fall into the trap of believing that we're still inside of our circle of influence, but really we're in just that circle of concern without being in our influence. That's right. I, in fact, you just take me to so many conversations I've had in my office where someone is really struggling with a, a particular person or a particular process or whatever. And I will just, you know, listen, 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 and then say, so, so tell me, Fred, what, what can you influence? Nothing. Mm -hmm. Really? There's nothing in this you can influence? Let's think about this for a minute. And every time, and, and again, I, I talk like I'm the master. I'm certainly not. I have to give this discussion to myself sometimes, too. Right. So talk, what can you influence here? Oh, I mean, it, it's, again, it's, I think it's, it's, sometimes that's easier said than done, but I think it's an important lesson that we all need to learn and really focus, again, on on what it is that what what we do have our what we do have power over um right. because right. because again i think i think especially in the world the way it is right now where everything is global and we get to see all of this stuff online that we wouldn't have been able to see even 10 years ago we can feel it can be empowering but it could also make you feel powerless yes. and reminding yourself that you do have that circle is i think really really important i couldn't agree more what is i, I what is one thing that you want every reader of your book to take away? Because it's, you know, people are going to take away different things, but what is that one core message that you really want to make sure people walk away when they read, get, uh, when they read, get better? Boy, <laughs> I want him to take to heart the entire book, but uh, just <laughs> that's, that's probably not possible. <laughs> um, don't want to oversimplify this, but relationships matter. The, mm -hmm. nothing is more important than that. They, it really isn't. And you have, you have much more um, ability to influence than you think. Every one of us do. And I, I think it's easy, and including for myself, it's easy to fall into a victim mentality. But uh, relationships, deep, meaningful relationships, more than just a nice to have, it's really foundational to our happiness. And certainly at work where we spend the majority of our time, it's, it's, it's well worth your time to invest in that. Um, matters a lot. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the thing that you can't beat, right? That's as work changes, as the nature of our occupations change, 
relationships are the only thing that still matter over time. I, I completely agree. We do, like most organizations, we do a, a climate survey or a culture survey every year to get a, a, a pulse on things, our finger on the pulse of things. And and we have, uh, uh, you know, we people have different ways of measuring this, but we'll, or asking the question, we'll say on a scale of one to 10, you know, how likely are you to, to um, uh, promote Franklin Covey as a great place to work? Uh, meaning, how do you feel about the company? And, and we get high scores, thankfully. And then we ask, what is your number one reason for that answer? And year after year, the top two reasons why people stay at our organization are, number one, the people I work with every time, the people I work with, and number two, what we do, our content. And I, I just think that is so critical for leaders and others to recognize that the nature of the relationships, that the way you feel about those, the levels of trust you have, the levels of engagement you have every day as you go to work, whether you physically go there, whether you get online, whatever, the people you work with, it's it's the it's the biggest uh, indicator of how engaged and therefore how productive and happy your, your partners and your employees are going to be. Wow. Okay, so now into the personal stuff. You are an executive at a, at a big company, a big consulting firm. You write a, you've written this book. How do you accomplish so much? What is your typical day? Like what, when do you start? How do you segment your time? Well, my third wife would tell you, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> still, still in my first marriage. Um, you know, I, I struggle with that like everybody else, but I will tell you that the key, in fact, I, I know we, we don't have a lot of time, but, but one of the practices is called avoid the pinball syndrome. Most of us are familiar with what the pinball game is, where you pull back the plunger and, and the ball goes in the machine. And you got these flippers on the side and you're bouncing around and right. bumpers right. and whistles and bells are going off. And it's fun. It's stimulating. It's a game. But at the end, gravity wins out and the ball drops down through the hole. How often do we get to the end of a day or a week or unfortunately a lifetime and yeah. we've been busy but we haven't accomplished anything of real value, or at least not we yeah. wanted to. So the way to combat that, and it's an ongoing battle and will be for, for our entire lives, to avoid the pinball syndrome, is to map out and plan your week each week. Now, it sounds really tactical, but boy, is it the answer. Uh, for everyone I've coached, it certainly has been for me, and it's ongoing. But when I take Sunday night, which is when my week begins, and I take you know, 30 or 40 minutes, and I, I map out my week, I look at the important meetings and obligations I've already committed to, I review what we call a, a mission statement, and call it whatever you want, but I connect with my values, what I really want to be about, and then I identify the most important relationships in both my professional and my personal life. I do this on, on Sunday nights on a regular basis, and I look at my week, and I make sure that I'm connecting in some way with those relationships, the co-worker, or the team member that needs help, or uh, my son or whatever it is. And then I try to stay true to that plan during the week. Now our weeks go never as planned. Right. At least I have that, that center line to come back to. And when I do that um, rigorously, every, every Sunday night when we begins, boy, do I feel a, a sense of accomplishment, not a hundred percent, but at the end of that week, like, okay, I made some progress. There are times when things are hectic and I don't do that. And I'm, I'm kind of like the pinball. I'm just reacting to things all week long and, and certainly don't feel as fulfilled or satisfied at the end of that week. So that's what I would 
offer up as as what I try to do and, and sometimes more successful than others. You know, that's that's a common theme that I've that I've heard heard from a lot of the high performers that I've interviewed. And it is first plan and then also reflect at the end of your planning period. So, Absolutely. so you spent if you're gonna if you're gonna plan your week at the on Friday night, then you gotta look back and see how did I do with the plan so that you're able to plan better the next week. Is there a tool that you prefer for planning? Is there a, a specific journal or an app or something that you use to plan uh, that? You know, you, uh, Franklin Covey, most of, most people, not most, but many people hear Franklin Covey and they say, now, aren't you the planner people? Aren't you the Franklin Covey planner? And while that was our beginnings with the Franklin side of the business, um, mm-hmm. there, and there are some people who have not gone away from a paper planner. Uh, I used to use one religiously. Uh, I now use an app. I use Outlook, but uh but that's that's what I use. Some people still choose to use it in paper. But yeah, I have. I I you know I am I am not a luddite. I love technology, but I have gotten back into using a paper a paper planner recently, and, yeah. it, and it has made a huge difference. Now I know a lot of I know a, a lot of people and younger people that 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 do that as well. I uh, I um, do my planning every night and or every Sunday night. But I have you know, in, in the app I have, it has my calendar and it has my task list and it has a section for notes where I have my mission statement, things like that. So mm-hmm. I'm able to do it there, but, but yeah, whatever works, whatever works for you. What is your mission statement? Is that personal? <laughs> Can I ask you what your personal mission statement is? It, it, it is, it is uh, personal, but I'll, but I, but I'll just tell you in short that I would summarize it as uh, uh, plagiarizing from Gandhi. And it really is to be the change. And I, uh, that's, I mean, it's, it's quite lengthy, what I've written out and I sometimes edit it and refine it over time. But, but the three words that I, that kind of bring me back into focus when I'm doing something really productive, when I'm, when I'm in a situation that doesn't feel as productive, when I'm in a frustrating situation with somebody or something, I just reflect on that phrase, be the change. Thank you. God. That's amazing. All right, Todd Davis, Chief People Officer at Franklin Covey, author of Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. I'll put a link to where you can buy that book in the show notes. Uh, Todd, what, wh- how do people stay in touch with you if they want to follow up with you, beyond um, buying the book, obviously? Yeah, if they go to uh, getbetterbook.com, um, that's, that, will have, that has connections to everything about the book and also about me. So get All it. right. I'll put a link to that also in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Todd. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to follow up, once again, you can go to uh, getbetterbook.com and, and follow up with Todd. If you want to follow up with us, it's facebook.com slash John Tesh, where we are all the time doing Facebook Lives, posting videos, posting all of our content there. Uh, if you want to talk to me, facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on any of our social media platforms, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, whatever, at Gib Gerard. Also, John is on Twitter at John Tesh and uh, on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. Links to all of those in the show notes as per usual. And if you like our show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you do that, it really helps get more listeners to listen to the show and improves all of our rankings, and we appreciate it. So, Go ahead and check that out and, uh, and and tell your friends about it because we want to keep doing this. As you notice, we have no ads in our show right now because we really just want to make this, make this about what you guys want to see and what you guys want to hear. So go ahead and reach out to us and let us know who you want to hear on the podcast or what you want to hear more of, and we will, we will accommodate that. 
Uh, and, and, and most of all, guys, I'm just thankful that you're listening. 